0: Here to score it for us is the Master of Disaster Public Relations Specialist, Mike Paul.
1: Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor.
0: Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert, is all about reputation. Got some tips
1: on rebuilding those reputations. You
0: first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on the truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across the board solution that is more than words and you got to have actions. Our guest today is Elizabeth McBride. She's a journalist and also the founder of Times of Entrepreneurship. She writes for Forbes.com, she's also been a contributor on CNBC, and she formerly was a journalist with Crane's New York Business, where I first got to know her. She's a co-author with Seth Levine of a terrific new book called The New Builders, Face-to-Face with the True Future of Business. Seth has a very interesting background, he's a venture capitalist, and I believe he has a fund that is $3 billion, Elizabeth, is that
1: correct? Yes, that's right, of Assets Under Management,
0: yes. Assets Under Management, he's the managing director and founder of Foundry Group, which is based in Boulder, Colorado, and he's also the co-author of this terrific book. So welcome, Elizabeth, to the program.
1: Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here. Oh,
0: thank you so much. Well, we're excited to have you. So my first question is, One of the biggest data findings that will shock many from the research from your book tied to data, not just opinions, is that white men are now in the minority in business ownership in America. Can you explain how and why?
1: Yeah. Well, as we've discussed a little bit, this is really a reflection of the changing demographics of the country, right? Um, They're just more and more people of color and in the country, and the other thing that's going on that's really important is that white women are starting businesses at a much faster rate than the general population. So those two factors combined mean that white men are now the minority of business owners. Now, there's some complications to that, and I hope we get into them because you talk about data, and I know that you're super data-driven, and I am as well as a journalist, One of the things you realize when you start to dig into the research is that our data systems themselves are racist, are biased. Um, And so it took a lot of work and a lot of kind of piecing together of the information out there to figure out what was really going on.
0: So give me an example. And that's an excellent point to start with. For people that don't understand data the way that you and I do, what does it mean to have biased data?
1: it's so problematic, right? It's so problematic, right? Yes. Um, but it is, it, and it shows up as as in my decades long career as a business journalist, I only got to the point where I could understand it after a few decades, right? Because it's so complicated and it's so baked in. I mean, the classic example is that uh, in uh, the post-World War One era, when Um, Black families were really rising in economic power, Um, the system moved in, right, and started to redline districts and say Black people could only own property in certain areas. And then on top of that, the financial system made it much harder for Black people, even those with great income, to qualify for mortgages. And and that kind of racism is just baked in. So now... Um, people in insurance or banking or it, other kinds of finance will say that neighborhood is not as creditworthy as others. And it has not, it's not based in reality. It was only an inherent racism in our data system. And the way this plays out in the business owner statistics is that the census Bureau never recognized that today, and in fact, forever, you can be a single person and own a thriving business.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: So they just discounted um, all of these single person businesses who are real businesses that owe taxes to the government as businesses and that tend to be owned, guess what, by women and people of color, because they've had to build their businesses outside of the mainstream White dominated world. And so they've built these thriving businesses that have technically one employee, but they have a million contractors. Some of them make a million dollars in income every year. These are, th- and they just, the Census Bureau just discounted them. Um, wow. Yeah. So it was by combining those two data sets to say, okay, employer businesses and non employer businesses, when you put them together, you see the real picture.
0: So you guys did a great job to work through that for the book and looking through the data. One of the quotes that I love, which is crisis-oriented, so I'm a little demented when it comes to these things. I get excited about trying to solve or fix these things, but here goes. The systematic racism, sexism, and ageism that pervades our culture means that today's entrepreneurs often don't get enough support. What kind of support are we talking about? Is it more than one? And explain why that's such an important quote from the book.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, this, okay, so the overall backdrop of this and one of the big conclusions of the book is that entrepreneurship in the United States, business ownership itself is declining. It's in a state of really profound decline for the past 40 years, which we delude ourselves into thinking we're like, oh, the American dream. Oh, America, it's great. We're like the most entrepreneurial country in the world, and that's kind of BS. Can I say that?
0: Yes, yes, you can.
1: <laughs> so it's kind of like we're we are not uh, dealing with, in reality here, right? Because um, in fact, we're becoming less and less entrepreneurial as a country. Other countries are rising much faster. Um, so this is a big critical issue, and we argue in the book that one of the reasons it's happening is that the largely white male dominated world of finance is not providing the kind of support to today's business owners as it would have to young white men right the only people that really thrive and get the kind of support they need this is an overgeneralization but are young white men
0: well let's let's jump into that because that's something i deal with not just in the small business world but in dealing with major corporations that I deal with on a daily basis, counseling both boards and C-suites. So when we talk about white privilege, when we talk about the ability to think deeply from another person's perspective, when we talk about the history of this country, starting even with slavery, till today and you get eye rolls from some leaders that are white males and say what are you talking about why is that getting thrown into our conversation how do you explain it both from a entrepreneurial perspective and a corporate major big business conglomerate perspective in what we're dealing with today
1: yeah that's such a complicated but really excellent question it's really you're really asking me how do you look a powerful white man in the face and tell him that he is where he is because of privilege that's right and nobody wants to believe that because everybody thinks i'm where i am because i worked hard which is true it's just that not everybody has the privilege to work hard and succeed so what i do honestly and i think the only thing that works Um, is you have to engage people in a real relationship one-on-one and look for the moment when they're open to hearing that message. And I do it in all kinds of ways, right? I mean, I do it. I just did it on a podcast last week where um, a white man was talking about how he was able to uh, pick himself up after an early career failure, kind of pivot and get into the big success he's had now. and I said, you know, you have to think about how were you able to have the sense of identity to pivot? Because women don't necessarily have that, right? We right. are in, in our culture, we're baked into this, into this small and tidy pie that says, this is the role we ought to play. And we're sitting on the window. So like still, you know, with a fresh scent of apples or whatever in the air, women are just are just confined to, a single identity, as they're reared and raised in our culture, men are not. So, you know, did he understand that when I told him, "Hey, the reason you were able to pivot yourself, able to create this new identity, is because you were raised in a way that we raise boys, which is to be more flexible." I hope I meant that, that way. And that's some of the
0: qualitative answers. The quantitative answers should shake them a little bit and wake them up to say. You do realize that as early as 1950, women couldn't walk into a bank with their own money shared with their husband to take it out. Forget about getting loans. Forget about opening your own account. Half your money or more could be in an account you did not in the 50s. That's not that long ago. You could not take out money unless you, the banker would say, where's your husband? Did he call? Do you have a note from him? What do you mean you're trying to take out money? As though you know the rules, right? Don't get started with the black community. I was explaining to someone earlier, why are there still today some, not just in the black community, but there are many in the black community, sadly, who are poor, who have no relationship with the bank still who cash their check on a weekly basis because the difference between ten dollars and three fifty and five dollars to cash the check versus ten dollars to keep the account open on a monthly basis could be the ability to feed someone for a dollar or so a day for a week that's how tight the funds are yeah getting back to your point about the differences for white male leaders When you deal with banks, when you deal with, when you talk to Seth, has he been open to talk about the differences that he has even had in the companies and entrepreneurs and the research that you guys have had for this book? He must have had some eye opening aha moments as to the assumptions he's been making for years that he might be slightly ashamed of that he might not be making now.
1: Yeah. Um, well, and I hesitate to speak for Seth because he has his own voice, but we've been working together now closely for, for two years. So, And I can tell you from my perspective, and I wouldn't have written this book if it weren't the case, Seth is an unusual white man, especially in finance. Um, the fact that he was open um, to these ideas and even you know the way we met, uh, we met when we were both working on the Palestinian economy. So that just shows you like we're both kind of unusual in our i think curiosity and open-mindedness about the world and our desire really to be better people Um, and so we met there so he was more open from the beginning i think we both had an eye-opening experience when we realized how badly our system of support for small business was failing um, because both of us were in the tech sector right which is the one place where it's a it's a nice little bubble right where things look like they're fine that's only 1% of small businesses in America belong, are in that tech sector, the other 99% are in a in a big in hot trouble right. right. Um, and So that was eye opening for both of us, and then I think I think other points that were eye opening for Seth in particular, and this is a little controversial to say um, is that. People, women and people of color start different kinds of businesses. More of us start businesses that, I'm going to be generalize here, that care, right? We do have more heart, I think, for the communities we live in. We start businesses that are more rooted in communities. We start Impact oriented businesses like this whole shift toward let's make the world a better place is in many ways being driven by the change in character of today's business owners, women and people of color. Kind of the star of our book is a woman named Donaris Mazzara, who uh, is a baker um, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, who started her business with $37 in food stamps. Her husband had been laid off. She's lying on her couch. Her mother came over and gave her this $37 in food stamps, said, I know you don't have enough money to buy groceries this week. Here's this. She laid down on her couch and she prayed and God, she's a woman of faith. She said, God spoke to her and said, make flan. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) She didn't know how to make flan. (laughs) Oh my gosh! She got up off the couch. She spent the $37 on the ingredients for flan. She had to make two batches. The first batch got burnt, the second batch was great. She sold it at the break table at Samsung where she was working um, and that like her business then took off. Wow. And she had set, you know, tons of setbacks and tons of like walls that she had tons of bumps in the road. I think the difference between Denaris and Jasmine though is Denaris built her business entirely within her community. She didn't take a step into that white male dominated tech finance. It was all about getting community support, finding a CDFI, which is a particular kind of uh, finance institution. She made a mentor who was an immigrant from Brazil, right? So they bonded over being immigrants. She built it all within this very supportive environment. And now she's a support herself to other people in the Dominican community.
0: Well, you're bringing up a very, very, very important point that we're seeing across the country and across the world with people who initially got defeated in what is just considered the white world. And some of the funding and some of the backing and some of the ideas for others to do similarly are coming from successful entrepreneurs of color who are famous. Some of them in the entertainment business, sports business, uh, previous business, and made a fortune and decided to now invest in saying things like, let's have our own online banking platform, um, online social platform. Um, place for you to find a job similar to LinkedIn, but it's owned by the black community and it's only for us dating. I mean, I can go on and on. And when you have the passion and the need in millions, there's amazing opportunity. Um, it's another way of saying with all due respect after you failed, trying to live in that world. We can do it alone. We don't need you.
1: The ultimate thing in the book, though, the, the overriding concept and the important thing for people to really understand is that entrepreneurship is declining. So we could have written a book. I'll tell you, we could, and we debated it pretty hard. And One of my other friends is like, you got to write a positive book. The new, the new builders are the future and just tell a lot of inspiring stories. But the backdrop of it is They are the future, they are building, but they are hitting a wall and I'm not sure that wall is gonna go away.
0: Well, that's the important point. I don't think it's either of those two titles. The first part of it is the data says that the average entrepreneur is not a white man that you might have locked in your brain. The second part of that with a comma, and it's not two, it's it's part of the same, as a result of that, there are more women and people of color who are seeking to be entrepreneurs and have successful businesses. Another comma, not over yet. They're struggling to get financed, they're struggling to have, those still in power, still white men, to finance them to be able to be successful. You then throw in a part B, which is even for yourself. Is that the only way to do it? Can we do it within our own strong affinity groups and finance it and sell it and grow it ourselves? I think that is a good primary audience to have, but you don't want it to be limiting if you see growth potentially in the same population that's not helping you to eventually still like it in the future might not be the same number, might not be the same strength of affinity, but it will be enough for continued growth if you don't forget them or don't hate them enough to say, we're done with you. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time, your book, tell Seth we weren't beating him up, we were just strategizing.
1: I was trying to protect him a little bit. (laughs) That's really
0: the truth. Tell them you can call me, tell them I'm open to to share any research that I have uh, found with various situations, not just in our country, but around the world. There's a lot of this and there are clear examples in other countries um, that are valuable for, for investors to hear that make a lot of money, but it means thinking differently. I thank you for the book. I thank you for your growing friendship. And we'll keep in touch and continue to talk about these important issues.
1: All right. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thanks, Elizabeth. Take care. And this week's t-shirt is Black Wall Street. You see broadly, 1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Black Wall Street. If you do not know what that means, Google it. The message is both positive and negative. The positive was an amazing community of black wealth. That is a true story that happened in America. The crisis and tragedy of it is sadly... There were whites in the community who did not like that growth, who did not like that wealth, and literally decided to burn down the entire town with many dying and many businesses being burned to the ground in a horrible portion of American history. You must look it up. You must learn more about it. Thank you. Well, on today's episode with Elizabeth McBride, let me tell you, The New Builders. Great book, her and Seth Levine did an excellent job in their research and the data in it is crucial. The world has changed, America has changed, white men are now in the minority, first time ever, not just in our growing demographics that are changing our nation, But in the business world, especially entrepreneurs and small business owners that have traditionally been white men, no longer the case, says the research. Not an opinion tied to data. And that data clearly says that women and entrepreneurs of color, black, Latino, Asian, continue to grow in this country, then the majority, they're not just tech, They're in every sector of society from a business perspective, and it continues to grow. The challenge? White men still control the financing of many of the businesses that we have in this country, and until they become more open-minded to invest in those who don't look like them, we're gonna continue to have some struggles with business in America. There might be a tipping point opportunity also for boards within financial institutions, banks, venture capital firms, etc., to have more people of color and women influence the investment in these growing groups that are now in the majority. Stay tuned. I think that's going to start happening soon. It better, or else we're going to continue to struggle in this country, not just with areas of social change that's needed, but obviously in business too. And remember, follow us and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts for our audio, as well as Google Podcasts and Spotify for audio as well. Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul the Rep Doc. And remember, less head work, more heart work, peace.